Good morning, church. My name is Zach, and I serve as the youth and young adults pastor here. And I was asked to give just a quick update about some of the things going on in youth ministry these days. Now, there's lots of stories I could tell, but the story that seems most important to share this morning is a simple story of gratitude, specifically toward our volunteers. We have a big group of volunteers who spend time here each week, sometimes multiple times a week, uh, talking with students and giving them space to be heard, to be known, praying with them, chasing them around the hallways in incredibly sweaty costumes just to get a laugh. Our leaders also spend time looking inwards at the hardest and most painful moments of their lives so that they can share what they've learned honestly and humbly in hopes that it will help someone in their journey. Some of our leaders are giving Chilliwack Taxi a run for their money by picking up kids who wouldn't otherwise be able to get here. First it was just one or two, but then their friends wanted to come too, and trust me, those are not peaceful car rides. I can tell when they're coming from like a block away. And all of this is happening after long days at work, between study sessions for exams, before and after other volunteer opportunities, and sometimes multiple nights in a row. And there's some people in this church who have been doing that for 10 years every week. And there's some people who have been doing it for just a couple of months, and it seems like they've been doing it for 10 years. Not because they look stressed, but because they're just, they've got the expertise. And special things are happening in the midst of that. We're seeing the kingdom overlapping with earth. We're, we're seeing people experience new life in Jesus. We're seeing students understand in a new sense who they are. We're having worship nights where the veil between heaven and earth seems so thin and eternity doesn't seem that far away. So to our volunteers, thank you guys for making yourselves available. Thank you for being willing to be uncomfortable. Thank you for being willing to share your stories, to spend your time, to spend your energy, uh, to put yourselves out there in hopes that what you bring, although it may feel like a little, may be great in the hands of Jesus. So as, as your church family, those of you who serve, we just want to thank you. These Sunday mornings tend to be such a joy, and they go by pretty quick. There's a whole bunch of things that happen. You know, we've got the kids coming up here sharing stories. We've got different people sharing prayers or encouragements. The music is going on. We're thinking about maybe what's going to be happening after. And, and I know I often feel, on any given day, overloaded by information. The amount of things I've got to keep track of in my head, the amount of things I've got to remember. And the question that's worth asking how do we prepare ourselves to listen to a sermon? How do we prepare ourselves to have the word sink deep into our hearts and actually give us something that leaves with us? Uh, so I want to read a prayer over us. Feel free to, to close your eyes if that helps you focus. Just take a deep breath, relax, and, and pray this along with me. In a world so wired and interconnected, our anxious hearts are pummeled by an endless barrage of troubling news. We are daily aware of more grief, Lord, than we can rightly consider, of more suffering and scandal than we can respond to, of more hostility, hatred, horror, and injustice than we can engage with compassion. 
but you, Jesus, are not disquieted by such news of cruelty and terror and war. You are neither anxious nor overwhelmed. You carried the full weight of the suffering of a broken world when you hung upon the cross, and you carry it still. When the universal distress unsettles us, remind us that we are but small and finite creatures, never designed to carry these great burdens. For our arms are too short and our strength is too small. Justice and mercy, healing and redemption are your great labors. And yes, it is your good pleasure to accomplish such works through your people. But you have never asked any one of us to undertake more than your grace will enable us to fulfill. Guard us then from shutting down our empathy or walling off our hearts because of the unactionable misery that floods our awareness. You have many children in many places around this globe. Move each of our hearts to compassionately respond to those needs that intersect with our actual lives. That in all places, your body might be actively addressing the pain and brokenness of this world. Each of us liberated and empowered by your spirit to fulfill the small part of your redemptive work assigned to us. Give us discernment in the face of troubling news reports. Give us discernment to know when to pray, when to speak out, when to act, and when to simply shut off our screens and our devices and to sit quietly in your presence, casting the burdens of this world upon the strong shoulders of the one who alone is able to bear them. Amen. Feel free to just sit in a moment of silence and pray to God, listen to God. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Our minds, our will, our deepest values will determine how we use our strength, how we use our time, how we use our lives. As we sit under the teaching of Scripture explained to us by Gary, Jesus, would you please bring clarity to our minds? Would you help us discipline our will? Would you inspire our souls? Holy Spirit, give us in this time everything we need to be faithful with our strength, with our time, with our lives. Amen. I'll read our scripture for this morning. This is Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection from the head, from whom the whole body, supported 
and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back. We're going to do a bit of a recap. I watched the two sermons that were preached here while I was away, and I was thrilled to, to hear them from our and what they said to you and to me, our first preacher was Rob Thiessen, who's the leader of our Mennonite Brethren Conference in British Columbia, and then our own Nate Thiessen. This is his home church, so we'll get into that in a minute. If you want to study deeper into Colossians, you are welcome to come tomorrow night, uh, the second and the fourth Monday of this month. We are going through a video series with N.T. Wright, probably the greatest, in my estimation, New Testament scholar, theologian, pastor in our generation, and uh, he has some great insight into these passages we're looking at, so you're welcome to come tomorrow night uh, near the office entrance in the Maple Room, uh, 7.30 to about 9.15. Donation statements are available. Thank you again for your generosity over the last year in the ministries of this church. We do not exist. If you do not write a check or do an e-transfer, or however way you give, this is how we operate, and that you're able to be here on a Sunday morning. I want to, and we are getting newsletters. You might, some people have asked, who's this Sherry Lynn Williams that we got an email from? So Sherry Lynn, if you wouldn't mind standing up. There she is. <clears throat> she is the assistant to our church administrator, Joanne, so she'll be He's slowly moving into taking uh, on some responsibilities Joanna's had, and so thank you, Sherry Lynn, for being here. She got connected here through Women's Break, and so it's fantastic to, to have her here serving with us. I just want to do a recap, because uh, uh, we forget <clears throat> what we heard, and uh, when Paul writes a letter, it, it flows, and so we sometimes need to be reminded, what, what did he say? How, what's he building on? So I'm going to do a brief recap, not of the entire book, um, but just some of the things here. Important things to know as we move into the passage today. Number one, Jesus is the creator as described in Genesis. He's trying to correct some bad theology and some bad living going on here in Colossae. And so this great idea is from Colossians 1:15 to 20. They call it the, the Christ hymn or the Christ poem. And it says, Jesus is the creator as described in Genesis. He is the Lord from the Jewish scriptures. Scriptures. Number two, the universe has no power to change your life. Do not bow to it. Do not pray to it. Do not think it knows you. It doesn't. It has no personality. It cannot influence your life. The stars, the moons, all this stuff, gone. A silly thing to believe, as we've talked about. Number three, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. No one is greater before him or after him. And his resurrection has begun the last days. Number four, Jesus is fully God. Fully God. When they saw Jesus, when they touched Jesus, 
they were seeing God. Amazing. This is who they gave their allegiance to. He's the highest court in the land. There are no appeals after him. He's it. He is supreme justice. This is why Jesus has authority over us and everything in the universe, because he is fully God. And then number five is every human, you and I, every one of us in this world needs Jesus. We've all sinned and fallen short. I like what Rob said a couple weeks ago. What's the problem with this world? G.K. Chesterton was writing in, in Britain. There was a, an opinion piece asking people, what's your opinion on the world? You know, during the world wars especially, what's the problem with the world? Remember his answer? Two words. I am. <laughs> I'm the problem. People like me. The scales of justice are heavy with our sin, and that's why we need Jesus. And thank you, Darren, for singing through these songs uh, that we had this morning. Just this is who Jesus is. This is why we appeal to him as supreme. Humanity was designed to be the perfect vehicle for God's self-expression within his world. Male and female, he made them. And he wants us to live appropriately among his people. But then sin entered in and wrecked it all. That's why every human needs Jesus. So one of the reasons I believe, and, and uh, should be a reason you believe as well, in the trustworthiness of the Bible or the authority of the Bible for your life, is the Bible is crystal clear on what you and I are about. It's not afraid to say who we are, what we are. And it's a bit of a paradox, because the problem with the world is humans. You do any history of the greatest atrocities in this world, guess who perpetrated them? Humans. But the hope of the world that God has set before us is humans. It's Jesus, yes. But God does his work here on earth through humans. We labor with all his energy, Paul says. So we, humans are the problem with the world, but we're also the hope. We're the ones that bring the good news. We are the salt and the light. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus, feeding people, bringing water to people, building homes in Mexico for people. We are a glorious creation. That's what the Bible says. We're a good creation. God created us in his own image, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, it says in Genesis. God saw that all he had made Adam and Eve, and it was average. Very good. A great creation. An original blessing, you could say. The first humans. But then sin entered the world, and humans now have what theologians call original sin. Maybe you've heard that term. I like this idea. You know what? We're original blessing people. That's what we are. That's what we were. A good, great creation, but yes, we're marred and fractured. Probably not the best word, as I think originally we were blessed. We weren't originally sinful. And all was good. But sin came in, and sin has entered into every human being. And then from this, we read throughout the Scriptures the ravages of sin, even in this world today. And that's why we're here today. Because we need hope. 
Lord, I need you. I love that song. We don't want to believe silly things and do stupid stuff. That's what we've talked about here in Colossians. And that's why Paul wrote it. We, don't, do, we do not want to have sin rule over us. Jesus faced sin head on. He believed in it. He describes it. He taught of its power and its insidious nature. And he died because of it. But he defeated it. Original blessing. Sin entered in. Jesus is doing something about it. I just want to highlight a couple of things from Rob's sermon. I, I liked it. Living the Christian life is like sailing. You know, you've got lots of things going against you. You've got tides, sandbars, currents, shipping lanes, reefs, wind, and rain. And you're talking about Jesus as your compass and guide to avoid these things, the snares and the trials, as the Amazing Grace song says. And he said, we need to know, you need to know where you were to start in your journey. You came from being hostile to God. You were alienated from God, it says in chapter, two, in chapter one and chapter two. We're lost at sea. Number two, we need to know where we're going. We are now brought, brought up by Jesus. We're no longer lost. We're innocent now before God. We have an accurate direction. We have a plan and a purpose. And number three, he said, we need to know how to stay on course. And that's what we're getting on at this morning. It's not by rules and regulations. It says to remain in Christ, to hold fast. We have the hope of glory. We are loved by God. And then Nate brought that together again beautifully last week. He said, you have an imagination. Let it work for you, for the good. Caesar is everywhere, Nate brought out. Meaning empire. The government against us. The world system against us. It wants us. Our culture, our government expects our undivided allegiance. And, in, and the Bible says to obey our governments. We've talked about that when I went through our COVID series and what that means. But as far as who you worship, in their time, you had to bow down to their imagined gods that were carvings of Caesar. There was relentless pressure to conform to the imperial ways of the empire. And we have tremendous pressure today to conform to what the world's telling us is right and wrong. Christ is the answer, Nate brought forward, to the great mystery. It's all him. We're going to continue preaching that. I like what Nate said here. Paul is basically telling the people in Colossae, I am telling you this because I don't want someone leading go off in some wild goose chase. And that's what the spiritual gurus of today want to do. They, they, they take you off on a wild goose chase to the so-called mysteries or the secret. It's hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's human tradition. Jesus is saying, I am on your side. Go ahead with what you already possess. Christ is in you. Grow in this. You're deeply rooted. That's why I like the idea of imagination they brought in because it uses the word deeply rooted in the passage from last week. So use your imagination. Think of yourself as a tree. So you don't go after all this other stuff. Everything of God is, expect, is expressed in Jesus. You can see and, and you can hear him clearly. And I love this statement from Nate. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of a universe, of a life without him. That's beautiful. Thanks, Nate. 
The Bible is accurate and precise in regard to what is called the human condition. We are prone to sin and to cover up our mistakes and make excuses. That's why we need the scriptures to guide us and direct us. The Bible is full of stories and poetry and proverbs and parables. Sometimes we need to have a poem. We need to have a parable because our brain just doesn't grab the logic and take it into our heart. I like what Nate said again. The Bible is not a dictation from God with bullet points. The Bible asks us to use our imagination. It does warn us of vain imaginations and deceptive philosophies and human tradition. But the Bible is accurate about the human condition and it tells different ways and various ways of how that affects us. That's why we need the scriptures. The Bible is full of these stories. So to make a logical point that makes sense to the brain, Jesus would say basically sometimes, I'm going to give some examples, imagine with me. This is what Jesus, how he taught. That's what a parable is. Imagine with me. Let me tell you a story. You will have the theological truth and application at the end, but I'm going to help you understand this theological truth by having you use your imagination. Humans are beautiful this way with our imagination. Crazy too, but beautiful. Let me tell you a story, Jesus says. And a big problem with all humans is owning up to what we've done is wrong. We think we somehow can be excused of it. It's more understanding if I do it. We totally justify our actions, but we would judge others for the same action. So that's the truth. So how did Jesus bring that to the forefront? Let me tell you a story. (laughs) There's a guy who has a speck in his eye. And the person who's kind of pointing it out and judging him and saying, look, the speck in your eye, that guy has a what in his eye? A two-by-four. Jesus saying, use your imagination. And boom, the Pharisees hear that story and go, ah, talking about me. It engages people. It's hypocrisy and judgment wrapped up in one imaginative story. Then he's talking to the Pharisees, and they want to know, you know, how good do you have to actually be? Like, I want to love people, but like, who's actually my neighbor? Let me tell you a story. Use your imagination. There was once a guy walking from Jericho to Jerusalem. Someone beat him up and left him on the side of the road. So they're imagining with him, and he nails each one of them. Here's an example, too. Nathan to David. Sad story. David committed adultery. Then he made a plan to have the husband of the woman he had adultery with killed. This is David. And what, the, and what David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's not like every story in the Bible, well, it's in the Bible, it must be the way it's supposed to be. No, no. <laughs> it describes the, the ravenous, horrible actions of sin. The Bible is full of these stories. So how was David going to be confronted with his sin? And so here we read, the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. David, imagine with me. Here's Nathan. David just committed adultery. He just made a, a plan to have the husband killed. And now he can take her as a husband, and hopefully it's all swept under the carpet. 
So here's the story. David, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owed nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb. And it grew up with his children. Look at the imagination in this story. It ate from the man's own plate. It was a pet. And it drank from his cup. He was in the house. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, remember he had lots, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David's listening to the story. He says he's furious. As surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. David got caught red-handed with his imagination. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and on and on and on. But this is what you did. Then David confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, the Lord's forgiven you. You read the Psalms. You need to know this story to understand the Psalms and David's heartbreak. And how when he confessed his sins, his body just came alive. His bones felt dried and broken, but when he confessed his sin, boom, he had life. David came to the true conclusion and application of the story based, or of his life based on a story. So, what are your roots? What's your story? And we'll get into the scripture here in a minute. So today is the shadow or the reality. So you, you need to imagine with me a few things. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The world offers the shadow. God offers the real thing. The world has taken its imaginative abilities and come up with thousands and thousands of ideas and ways to try to be spiritual, to try to satisfy your longings. Do this, go here, read this, go to this retreat, walk on coals of fire, you know, all kinds of things as I've read through the whole New Age movement since the 70s. <laughs> Crazy stuff, silly stuff, people. And I say that with love in my heart for people that believe these things. Because I once believed some of these silly things. Taking a fruit offering to a little idol to learn my transcendental meditation word. That's what I did. Silly. And we're longing, so the world comes in with all kinds of crazy ideas on how to fulfill this beautiful longing you have for purpose and direction in your life. And Paul says, don't go after the shadow. Go after the reality. The world offers the shadow in so many ways. So, 
first word in chapter 2, verse 16, is therefore. And so I'm going to do the corny joke. The important thing is to look what it's there for. <laughs> and this is what it's there for. It's because of the truth previously expressed. Paul is drawing out the implications of the victory of Christ over the rulers and authorities at the end of chapter, uh, at, at, at chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Because this is true about what Christ did, this is how it must be. Don't let anyone judge you, pass judgment on you. Christ has done everything for you to be into the kingdom of God. Now this verse is not about, oh, it doesn't matter what I eat or drink. I like that verse. I guess you can drink whatever I want, how much I want. That's not what this is saying, okay? This is about following a mosaic food laws and drinking laws to try to show that you're in the kingdom. Now, it does matter what you eat and drink. I'll, I'll give you that. But don't think it's a way to be in the kingdom is what Paul's getting at. And so don't let anyone exclude you. That's what was happening. The Jewish people was in the church were excluding the Gentiles because they didn't do all these food laws. You don't belong. It was the kosher laws of the Old Testament extended to them. And then we have the religious festival, the new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. This is a fairly typical list of Jewish holy days referring in descending order to the great annual festivals, the monthly celebrations, and the weekly Sabbath. These rules of diet and ritual marked out the Jew from the pagan neighbor. And Paul's saying, don't let anyone exclude you. This is not what's important. It, that's a shadow. It's a shadow of the real thing. And that's Jesus. So some of you might have Seventh-day Adventist friends. They worshiped yesterday. That's okay. But don't they dare say, because we worship on Sunday, we're excluded. That's crazy. According to this verse and others, it's crazy. They're but a shadow. The reality is Jesus. Remember what day February 2nd was? Come on, people. Don't you believe in some of the silly things of our culture? Groundhog Day. Fifty-fifty chance, right? <laughs> Just like anything else that the world offers. Flip a coin. So I just I did so I did some research. That's just what I do. Important theological research. Do you know? You know who the groundhog is in Quebec, what the name is? Fred Lamarmot. I think I pronounced it right. M-A-R-M-O-T-T-E. Fred Lamarmont. Or Lamotte. Yeah, that's him. He died before he, he was able to reveal his shadow. They had to go into his burrow and pull him out. <laughs> Poor guy. He had no vital signs when they went to wake him up on Wednesday night. Fred Lamarmont likely died during hibernation. And so he was honored with a plush animal toy by organizers. The group of children predicted six more weeks of winter, joining the calls from other groundhogs across Canada. 
So do you know what the groundhog is called in Nova Scotia? Shubanakity. That's a good one. Shubanakity Sam. She saw her shadow. She predicted six more weeks of winter. Ontario's Wyerton Willie. He called for an early spring. <laughs> and how about Alberta's? This is good. Balzac Billy. <laughs> Anyone here with roots in Balzac? There we go. You got your own groundhog over there. Uh, Okina- the Kelowna has one. It's a stuffed groundhog, and it's called Okanaganoki. Manitoba. This is important stuff. I hope you're taking notes. This is important. <laughs> In Manitoba, the stuffed groundhog's name is Merv. <laughs> Merv, the Manitoban marmot. I love it. I love the alliteration. It's beautiful. But you know, the shadow of the groundhog does not come out on its own. It can't. It has to be, the shadow has to be connected to reality, a real, tangible object to cast a shadow. By the way, Paul would say this is a fairly silly way to determine the weather. Um, these events are shadows, Paul says. They're not the real thing. Don't go live in the shadow. What do you need for a shadow to exist? The real thing. The world only offers shadows. Paul believed the Old Testament prescription testified to genuine principles, but they've all been fulfilled in Christ. He said, I've come to fulfill the laws. I am the one now to deal with. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. I am the reality. I am God in the flesh. Quit getting entertained and going after shadows. Go after the real thing. Christ has inaugurated this new age. Verses 18 and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such people also go into great detail about what they have seen and their own spiritual minds puff them up with idle notions. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. I mean, there's a whole sermon there, but I'm going to take about five minutes on this one. They're not thinking straight because they've lost connection to Jesus. They're letting the shadow tell them what to believe. Now, in Colossae, angels are probably being honored and worshipped, giving prayers and petitions to angels. What happens today for us, for some people, for some religions? Some religions pray to humans. To dead people, to be bluntly, to be blunt. Paul would say, that's silly. Yeah, that person's in the presence of God. But they can't hear you. They can't hear you. Your loved one in heaven can't hear you. St. Christopher cannot help you drive better. The angel of protection, or the saint of protection. This I know this sounds very judgmental, but it's silly, people. That's what Paul's getting at. This is silly. You're living in a shadow. Let me tell you about the real thing, people. This is crazy. If you need protection for driving, here's an idea. Take a course. Learn self-control. Know what the speed limit is. 
Don't follow too close. Having a necklace on your neck with St. Christopher on it isn't, that's silly. And I say this with love, people, I really do. Because Jesus says, don't, don't go after this stuff, it's crazy. Okay, who have I offended so far today? Well, the most important thing is I don't want to offend God, okay? That's the deal here. I'm going by what the Bible says, what I know to be true, and what's basically common sense. Don't let people judge you. There's a whole other list here of different things. People that have these great spiritual experiences. Oh, man, I could go on forever about this. You want to see a guy with idle notions? Look up Jesse Duplantis on YouTube. Watch him. He's a nutcase. An absolute nutcase. Puffed up. He's living out this verse, people. Again, offense number three, I guess. So, but here, here he's going at, don't let anyone, do not let anyone who delights in false humility judge you. It's not now on non-observance of Jewish diet or festivals, but on their failure to share in a particular style of spiritual life or mystical experience. The underlying point of this short description of the church as Christ's body is that while the false teaching might try to exclude the Colossians from membership in God's people, in reality it is not they, not the Colossians who are in danger of being excluded. It's these people here that are bringing the judgment and the refereeing on people. The true test of whether or not one belongs to God's people is neither the observance of dietary laws and Jewish festivals, nor the cultivation of super spiritual experiences, but whether one belongs to Christ is living in the reality. 20 to 22, let's read that. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Now someone might listen to a pastor or listen to me and go, well, so, Gary, what you're saying are human commands and teachings. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's, I'm trying to stick with what the scripture says, what the text says. But all Christian groups have had trouble with this, kind of adding things. Okay, yeah, you're a Christian, but shouldn't go to movies. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Most Jews outside of Palestine still kept the food laws. Some Jews forbade even touching particular foods, that sort of thing. Let's turn to Matthew 15, 10 to 20 for a minute. These regulations, these do not handle, do not touch, touch on what Jesus talked about. I'll get there in a minute. These regulations, Paul is saying, show their true, true irrelevance for true holiness. You're going to really tell me about your holiness in your heart based on what you eat? Really? But what you don't eat? Really? But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. These are silly things. They're shadow. 
but we go after them. It's something we can kind of see. Our control center goes after some of these shadow things. Let's just go to Matthew 15. I think Paul has got this in mind. Paul was a student of of, uh, the words of Jesus. He says in verse 10, Listen and understand. What goes into your mouth, connection to this verse here, that does not defile you. That is not what makes you unclean. But what comes out of your mouth, that's what defiles you. Then he says, Are you still so dull? Are you still so dependent on human wisdom? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from where? The heart. And this is what defiles you. These are the sinful things. What comes out of your heart, not what goes into your mouth. People don't believe silly things. Don't really think that eating the proper food or not eating certain foods is what's going to make you holy. This is what Paul's going after here. He's echoing the very words of Jesus. Because it's out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. It's a short list. (laughs) This is what defiles you. This is what contaminates you in God's sight. He's echoing the very words of Jesus here, Paul. is. And then we conclude with verse 23 for today. Such regulations, all these do's and don'ts, all these do's and don'ts, they have an appearance of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So don't let appearances fool you, people. Gary. They lack value. They they do not accomplish what is necessary. They are the wrong tool. So what's supposed to be accomplished here? Do you see it? We'll get into this next week. That's all next week's sermon because chapter 3 is all about the sexual indulgence that people go after, that the world offers. The goal of your spiritual life and as we dedicate kids is this. To not be going after sensual indulgence. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You know, we have shows and movies that just flaunt this. The world says, put your sensual indulgence on full speed ahead. Go after whatever you feel like doing with your body. That's what the world says. That's what the shadow says. We don't want to have a governor on the engine. That was the most frustrating time in my life. The U-Haul, two-ton, coming from Calgary to Chilliwack, and there was a governor. I could not go over 55 kilometers, 55 miles per hour. That's crazy. Worst thing that ever happened in my life. (laughs) But I want a governor for my heart, people. I do not want to go full speed ahead just satisfying every sensual indulgence that comes my way. I want to buy that. I want to get that. I want to do this. We want to go as fast as we can. We want to decide what's safe. We, want to, we think God's trying to take away our fun. We want to be able to do whatever we want. 
As long as it doesn't hurt anyone. We'll get into that. Well, it hurts you, people. It hurts you when you go after sensual indulgence, not just others. In the moment, I might be wonderful, but in the long run, Jesus said, its way is destruction. And all these other spiritual things and religious rules, they have no value in restraining sensual indulgence. They are insufficient. They will not get you across the finish line. They are of no help against indulging in selfish and moral behavior. They, have no, they show no restraint. They're a false bit in the mouth of a horse. They're brakes that are damaged and will not stop your vehicle. We've seen that in people's lives. Have we not? Great spiritual leaders, adultery, murder. Like it happens. Who knows what was going on in their heart, but they certainly weren't living in the reality of Jesus. That I can Great. say.